Hello, welcome back to Christianity 101. This is lesson number six, and we call this one The Church, What It Is, and Why You Should Go. Hopefully that title doesn't insult your intelligence, but I'm really finding in this day that we live in, Christians don't get what the church is. They don't really understand the whole premise of the local church. They don't understand the premise of a local assembly. They don't understand the, the biblical precedent of having a pastor over a local flock. Uh, today we live in a day of technology when you can stream or watch Christian television. And a lot of Christians think that's church. They think staying at home in their underwear streaming the church they should be sitting in qualifies as church. And so for that reason, we went back and wrote a lesson reestablishing the foundational doctrine of what a local church is. I would want to add at this point, most of these lessons that we have, we have much greater expanded teaching on them available on our website, podschool.org. Podschool we have, uh, at this point, 30, 32 different lessons and literally hundreds of individual lessons. So when teaching on the church and the local church, you can find a lot more teaching on that on our church government's curriculum on podschool.org. But let's get into this. The church, what it is and why you should go. We need to first of all understand the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a building, and we understand that. Now, we have a building. We're thankful for it. We want to maintain it. It's a place of honor. David, who built or helped fund the greatest tabernacle temple ever built, he funded and got the vision for Solomon's temple. He fully well understood that God does not abide in a building, and yet he still understood there was a necessity for a central location for the people of God to come. Moses understood he could meet with God on the side of a mountain near a burning bush, and wherever God's presence was was holy ground. David experienced that time and time again, and yet he still erected David's tabernacle at Shiloh and then helped prepare for Solomon's temple at Jerusalem. We need to understand the church is not a building, but we meet in a building. And where the church meets, that should be a place of reverence. I kind of get this sense even more as we advance in time that one of the workings of the enemy is to make Christians treat the house of God and treat the things of God as common. One of the commandments and assignments to the Old Testament priests was to make a distinction to God's people between that which is holy and that which is profane. This in our vernacular is called the sanctuary because it's where we find sanctuary. It's a place of set-aside consecration and holy devotion. Just so you know, we don't permit our children to run around in here foolishly. We built a very expensive playground out there, and we're more than happy to let children be children, but we want to keep the tabernacle holy. One of the things I appreciate about Catholics is they know how to revere the house of God. And, and you know the stereotype, even if it's a Catholic mafia member. He won't bring his crime into the local Catholic church because that's the house of God. I've been in many Catholic churches in America and now overseas, and there's always this tangible reverence for that sanctuary. It doesn't mean God's moving there, so don't misunderstand me, but the Catholics understand reverence for the house of God. They keep things sacred. I think we should do the same. The church can meet in a building, but the church is not a building. We understand that. We understand the early church met in homes. 
Actually, truthfully, the early church, right after the ascension of Jesus Christ, the early church prayed in homes, but they continued to go to the Herod's temple to worship. They prayed in homes, but they continued to go up on a regular basis and live as Jews did because they didn't know any better yet. Where, were, where was Peter and John going in Acts when they healed the lame man at the gate beautiful? They were going up to the temple at the third hour of the day to pray. Peter and John, these apostles, were still going to the temple to pray, though they were having house church as we understand it now. But let's move on. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, and that means called out ones. One of the more expanded definitions in the Greek, and this is where we really have to focus for today's church mindset, ekklesia literally means called out of private into public arenas. Called out of private into public arenas. That definition alone helps us debunk this notion that I can stay at home and do church or that I can stay in the deer stand and do church. By definition, if we are the church, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, my called out ones, then we're being called out of private and into a public forum. Now I understand if we're living in persecuted Iran or persecuted China, we might have an underground church. And in that regard, it's not public with a big sign on the side of the house that says house church or Christian church. But still, the saints are gathering away from their private home into a public, howbeit underground, sanctuary. They're leaving the confines of their own homes and they're still meeting together publicly in a church service. So they're called out of private into a greater assembly. Christians are called out ones and Christians make up the church. Our friend, Pastor Ingolf Schmidt, he was part of an underground church movement under communism before the Berlin Wall fell. He pastored and pioneered an underground church in Leipzig. And if you've ever got to hear him minister, he ministers for us on a regular basis, every, actually every year for the last nine years. You'll hear him tell stories about even though it was an underground church, it was still a church. And they would have to move locations, and they had secret police spying on them. And even though it was in a house or in a basement, it was still the individual saints coming together to fellowship and worship publicly, though underground. Hopefully you understand the difference. Called out from what? Let's look at our next section. We have been called out from the world, sin, darkness, habits, and even customs. That's what we've been called out from. We've been called out from living like the world, being reclusive like the world, being sinful like the world, and being called out from even sinful customs into the kingdom of God. We are in this world, but not of it, according to John chapter 17. And we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And so ecclesia or church also means called out from a private secret life and to a public meeting or fellowship. You wouldn't believe how many Christians have believed the demonic lie that they can stay at home and have church. The word ecclesia means called out from a private secret life. Have you ever heard that religious lie? Well, my relationship between God is private. That's not what Jesus said. He said, what I tell you in private, declare from the rooftops. This is a religious lie. It offends Christians when you tell them they need to go to church. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm a brother in Christ who's authorized by Jesus to provoke you to better works 
and to remind you of the scriptures that say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even if that's an underground house church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Remember, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. You can't have that in a deer stand. You can't have that staying at home on a Sunday night. You need to assemble together in the house of God. There's a greater anointing in the corporate anointing. We've been called out away from even customs. One of the things uh, one of my mentors, Pastor Stephen Okwoko from Nigeria, taught me. He said, God is not impressed with American culture. And God is not impressed with Nigerian culture. Pastor Okwoko was a Nigerian. He's now in heaven. He passed away several years ago. He said, God has given us the kingdom culture, and that is all he will ever honor. When we're called out as Christians, we're called away from pagan cultures that are even in the upper Cumberland, pagan cultures that maybe we inherited from wherever we come from. Part of being in the church is we've been given a new culture now, the kingdom culture, and the church is where we learn the kingdom culture as is written down and revealed from God's holy scriptures. So we've been called out of darkness into light. We are in this world, but not of it. We have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's what we're called out from. We should be different. And if you're born again, the leaven of the kingdom should be working on the inside of you until it's affecting every area of your life. The kingdom begins on the inside and works its way to the outside. Who builds the church? Well, Jesus Christ said, in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Notice Jesus Christ is interested in building his church. He didn't say, I will give you marketing gimmicks. I will give you entertainment gimmicks. This passage is in reference to Peter saying, well, I'll answer your question, Lord. Jesus would say, who, who do men say that I am? And the disciples answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elisha, others say one of the prophets. And Jesus said, okay, who do you say that I am? Because that's all that really matters is who do we say who Jesus is? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, thou hast well spoken, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock will I build my church. What is that rock? That rock is the personal revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Jesus is saying is he will build the church upon God revealing to the individual who his Son is. You can't build a church any other way. If the Holy Spirit is not revealing to the individual who Jesus Christ is, you can't build a church. Now, in America, we have been infected by American culture so that the American church actually looks more like Hollywood than ever before. The American church has now forgotten how to let God, through his Holy Spirit, reveal to man who Jesus is. And without God, by his Holy Spirit, revealing to man who Jesus is, you can't build a church. You can market a church. You can entertain at a church. You can tickle the ears at a church. You can serve coffee at a church, but you won't build the church. Jesus said, upon the rock of revelation, upon the rock of the Holy Spirit revealing who Jesus Christ is, he will build his church. And when you build a church on that, 
the gates of hell cannot prevail. The gates is representative of the city's wisdom. In biblical times, the city gates is where the politicians met. The city gates is where the leaders met to make decisions for the city. So gates represents political wisdom, political power. And so Jesus is saying allegorically, just like he's allegorically building, he's not literally building like with hammers and nails and lumber and two by fours. Allegorically, the gates, the wisdom and the political power, the wisdom and the kingdom power of hell won't prevail. If all you do is build a church on entertainment and marketing gimmicks, the gates of hell will prevail. But if you allow Jesus Christ to build the church by him being lifted up, remember he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So that tells us how we do a church. We build the local church spiritually by magnifying Jesus Christ, by worshiping him, by exalting him, by exalting the word of God. And by doing so, it gives the Holy Spirit the ability to begin to reveal to the individual who Jesus the Messiah is. That builds the church. If all we're doing is goat gathering through gimmicks and entertainment, we've not built anything. Not for God anyway. Maybe the ego, but not for God. Jesus builds the church. He does the calling out. He adds to his church. His church is a worldwide church. It is a universal church. Now, let me give you some church history and not freak you out. But following the apostolic age, that is the age of the apostles that knew Jesus Christ, the first hundred years after uh, John the Revelator died in about 98 AD, the church was spreading and the church was having issues trying to maintain a uniformity in doctrine and structure. And so the church began to, the early church fathers, the Antonicene fathers, that means the church leaders before the fourth century. That gets into some church history, but they began to establish protocol for what they called the universal church or the Catholic church. Now, when the early church fathers said Catholic, don't think Roman Catholic, don't think sign of the cross Catholic and infant baptism Catholic. The word Catholic means general or universal. And so what the early church fathers saw was that the gospel was spreading and new churches were popping up all around the Mediterranean, and yet they needed a standardization also to help prevent heresy and things growing perverse. They understood that the church wasn't just the church at Lydda or the church at Rome or the church at Thessalonica. It was a universal church. And there's the dichotomy of the doctrine of church or ecclesiology. The church is both corporately local, but also universal. It's both a local church with an independent leader, a pastor, but it's also the body of Christ worldwide. So it is a universal church. That's important to understand. We are in Grafted Word Church. Across the street is First Baptist Cookville. We are individual bodies, but we're part of the universal body. And I think that's an easy concept to understand. The rock upon which he builds is the revelation from God that he, Jesus, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Any, quote, church not preaching Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, is not part of the real church. There's a lot of pseudo-churches out there. We call them cults. Mormonism is one. Jehovah's Witness is another. Uh, The Universalist Church, quote, Universalist, quote, church, they're a cult. They're apostate. They believe always. Just because a church 
calls itself a church doesn't mean it's a church. The church is built upon this revelation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstones. So like, for example, the Jehovah's Witness believe God made Jesus and that there is no Trinity and a bunch of other weird things. The Mormons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but God, who he is the Son of, is one of an infinite number of gods, and that the God of Israel is really just the God over this planet, and that the God of Israel, who was the God over this planet, was once a mortal being who had earned Godhead, and that as Mormons, they themselves, if they fulfill all the commandments, they themselves will become gods over their own celestial planet somewhere, and with their spiritual wife, they can have spiritual babies and repopulate that and reproduce it. That's weird. It's a cult. It's a very friendly cult with good morals, but it's a cult. It's not the church. It's a cult. The universal church and local churches. Let's look at our next section. The Bible speaks of the church in both singular and plural tenses. In the singular sense, the church is also called the body of Christ. And the church is subject to Christ. So when it talks about the body and the church, it's talking about the universal church. Not the universalist, the universal, the church worldwide, the holy Catholic church, not Roman Catholic, but again, the word Catholic means general and universal. The Lord Jesus will present to himself a glorious church, not glorious churches. Ephesians says he will present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He's coming back for one body. These Scriptures speak of the universal church, but we also understand there are many local churches. That's an easy concept to understand. Even in the Baptist denomination, Southern Baptist, I was raised Southern Baptist. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. I still follow all of their convention politics and what's going on within the Southern Baptist convention. They are one denomination with individual local churches that have autonomy. That's how their church governments is established. It's patterned after the church universal. There is the body of Christ worldwide and member churches in particular. Each epistle or letter in the New Testament is written to a local church. So we see this very clearly. These include the local church in Rome because when Paul went there, he established one church. But before he was dead, there were numerous churches in Rome. The church at Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, and Philippi. Paul even mentions a letter he wrote to the church at Laodicea. We don't have that epistle, but we know there was a church at Laodicea because the Lord Jesus rebukes it severely in Revelation chapter 3. We also know that there was a local church at Crete where Titus was a pastor. And, and the Lord gave, excuse me, Paul, by the word of the Lord, gave Titus or Pastor Titus specific instructions on how to address the Cretans and the Cretan culture was known as liars, evil bellies, and slow beasts. Evil beasts, excuse me, slow bellies. They were lazy, lying, and ate a lot. In the Revelation, Jesus himself addresses seven different churches. And he says, to the angel at Ephesus, to the angel at Smyrna, to the angel at Pergamos, to the angel at Thyatira, to the angel at Philadelphia, to the angel at Laodicea. I, ha I say, say this, and then he'd usually say, and I have somewhat against you. We know that the angel there is not an angelic angel like a messenger from heaven because the Lord would not be rebuking an angelic angel. If the Lord has to rebuke an angelic angel, they're being cast down to hell. But the word angel means messenger. And so we have come to interpret every use of angel as angelic, 
when the word simply means messenger. And so we understand it to be the messenger of Ephesus, the pastor, the messenger of Smyrna, the pastor, the messenger of Thyatira. That's the pastor. He's God's messenger over that assembly. He addresses seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And at the end of every passage, the Lord Jesus states, in every, I call these the micro-epistles, the micro-epistles of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Seven little micro-epistles, seven, eight, nine, ten verses long, given to each of these seven churches. But at the end of every one of those micro-epistles revealed to John while he's on the Isle of Patmos, the Lord concludes by saying this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He had just addressed one singular church, but then he said, but this is written to the churches. So we're, we're showing you that there is both a universal church and yet individual churches. Let's look at our next section here. Every Christian is called to a local church. I cannot be more adamant about this. I believe you understand this, which is why you're watching this DVD or listening to this pod school. Every Christian must be in a local house. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, that is the church, as it has pleased him. Notice that God sets his members where it pleases him. We live in a day where Christians believe they're autonomous, that they're independent, that they can do what they want, as they want, when they want, and nobody can critique them. And if you do, how dare you critique me? You're being judgy. That's a spirit of rebellion. That's an attitude of antichrist lawlessness. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And if we're servants, and the Greek word means slave, if we're a slave that's been bought, we've been bought for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 17, when you command a servant and they obey, do they look for thanks? Jesus said, I trow not or I think not. But when they are done, if you even give them thanks, they'll say, well, I've done that which is my duty. I am an unprofitable servant. We're servants. The Lord has every right to command us, to set us into places where he wants us to be. Now, perhaps one of the greatest heresies I see going on in America today is this marketing of churches to try to draw people to churches based on carnal advertisements, carnal appetites, carnal techniques, and carnal gimmicks. Because what those churches are doing, and I don't even think they realize they're doing it, they are luring Christians away, not every one of them, but many of their congregation members have been lured away from the church God set them in and to something more appealing to their flesh. So if I'm a seeker-friendly church, and that word should alarm you, seeker-friendly is not a good thing to be, then I have been taught to market, to advertise, to gimmick, and to adjust my services, my church, for the non-customer or for the people who don't want to come to my church. And so what I end up doing is I get people to come to my church using carnality and sensuality. 
what that does is it doesn't just catch the non-church member. It actually entices the church member who's in the church they belong in. But where they belong is a little hard on their flesh, as it should be. And as a seeker pastor, if I'm guilty of this sin, I have reduced a standard and made my church more enticing than the church they're called to. Now, a couple years ago, this just comes to me, I was talking to uh, some guys. I'm not friends with them, but we're brothers in Christ. They were flying a private jet to Lagos, Nigeria to do ministry. So they're flying a ministry jet. And he said, it took us two or three years to do all the prep work to figure out how to get the ministry and the ministry team on this massive ministry jet into Nigeria, knowing that Nigeria is notorious for robbery and theft. And we couldn't take our weapons with us because you can't do that internationally. And so we had to research how to protect our private jet while it's parked for a week and a half in Lagos, Nigeria at the international airport. Maybe it was a private airport, I don't know. And I said, well, what'd you come up with? And he said, what we learned to do was we learned to dress down our jet, to not wash it, to make it look dirty, and thereby make it the least enticing jet on the runway that if robbers were gonna come rob, they wouldn't pay us any attention. We had to disentice, or I don't know what the word is. We had to make our jet not enticing so that it would not magnetize people to it, to steal from it, rob it, break into it, etc. I see seeker-friendly churches doing the very opposite. I see them resulting, resorting to Hollywood and marketing gimmicks to make their church the most appealing flesh-wise, the most appeasing sensuality-wise, the most whimsical light show carnival in town to draw people to it, and they call that church. This verse says, God has set members in his church as it pleases him. And so you must be faithful to Jesus Christ, not the gimmick-driven church, not the advertisement-driven church. You're going to answer to Jesus whether you stay planted or uproot yourself for something more cotton candy. You're, you're going to answer to Jesus whether you obeyed where he set you or you allowed gimmicks to minister to your sensuality. And if you're drawn to a church for carnal means, you're going to be fed carnal means. And that church is only going to make you carnal. The American church has learned how to do this because they believe that numbers prove success. Numbers don't prove success obedience proves success remember the body of christ is the church and jesus sets the members in and where it has pleased him it is according to his will not ours where we go to church you don't get to pick the church you go to jesus christ does if you believe you can pick the church you go to then you're going to be enticed by the sham wows and the sparkling this and the fancy that and the cappuccino this and the smoke machine that. That is not spirituality. That's entertainment. That's, that's Disney. Uh, they, they call some churches now Six Flags Over Jesus. Or, or you go to Epcot and instead of the United Kingdom, it's the, you know, it's the United Kingdom of Jesus. Ultimately, where we go to church is not our choice but God's. He does the setting, 
and he knows where he wants all of his members to be. So Psalm 1-3, I'm going to read a couple of these verses to us real quick. It's worth reading some scripture, though you have the reference there. Psalm 1, verse 3, should be a very famous or familiar passage. It says, Blessed is the man, I'm going to read 1, 2, and 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that does not stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the man in whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. This man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Notice here that the man that fears God and loves the word of God is going to be planted. And when you're planted in a local church, you're always going to produce fruit in season, and you'll never wither. Notice that prosper says, that verse, the promise says, your, your leaves will never wither, and everything you do shall prosper. Christians that church hop, Christians that chase church for gimmicks and shamwows, they don't get this promise at all. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to look at that. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up for to read. Notice that Jesus Christ had a custom of church attendance. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. If we translate that into the New Testament, we'd say he went to church on Sunday. Uh, Psalm 5, 7. I'm going to read this one. Here's an attitude we're supposed to have. Psalm 5, 7. David, a man after God's heart. He said in verse 7, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. David said, I will come into your house. I won't stay home and stream it. If I can make it to the house of God, I will. We're not against streaming. We do stream services, but that's mostly for sick folks, folks that have to stay home with sick children, or they're out of town on business, or they're missionaries. If you're none of the above, you should be in the house of God. Psalm 26, 8, David said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwells. Notice that uh, the tabernacle of honor, the God's honor dwells in his house. It didn't say it dwells in your house. He said, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. That's the local church. And then Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I have sought after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are good psalms about church attendance. And then, of course, Hebrews 10 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Hopefully you're not the sum that that refers to. You don't want to be called out in the negative in scriptures. Acts chapter 11 says this about church attendance. Verse 26. And when he had found Paul, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. 
Notice that Paul and Barnabas assembled themselves with the church. They fellowshiped with the church. You'll never be promoted with God without the church. You'll never be promoted by God without assembling in the local church. The local church is where you are fed the word of God, receive your supply, receive your increase, and receive encouragement. Without the local church, you're going to be sunk, sunk, sunk. This is our refuge. This is where we retreat to. The local church is our company. This is where we come when our family's under attack. This is where we come when our mind's under attack. This is where we come when our health is under attack. James 5 says, If there be any among you in the church sick, let them call for the elders. Notice that if, uh, if you're not in a local church, you don't have any elders to call for. In fact, if you're sick without local elders, you may die at home. Nobody know about it. We read about you on the news when the neighbors report something stinketh coming from the apartment next door or the neighbors hadn't seen you in a couple weeks and they decided to call the police for a a health check and the, the police officer reported coming to your front porch and smelled rot and decay and dreaded the worst and kicked open your door and found you dead in your lazy boy. This is the things that happen to Christians who don't have a local church. Honestly, so you know, when we have folks come to our church looking for help and looking for finances, the first question we ask them is, where's your local church? Where's your local church? You should ask your local church for financial help before you ask us. Nine times out of 10, they say, I don't have a church. And we minister to them about the importance of the local church. And then we either direct them to the homeless mission or to a church that has a bigger budget for benevolence like that than we do. You have to understand a church does not have bottomless pockets when it comes to helping people who don't want to serve God. Jesus said, take care of the poor. He didn't say, take care of the rebellious. He said, who are the poor? The poor in spirit, the poor in heart, the widow, the orphan. Amen. Ephesians 4.16 says, from whom the whole body or church fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the church or the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This verse is kind of wordy and complicated in the King James, but this verse says that the local church is fitly joined together and we're compacted or we're we're supplied or taken care of by every joint and the supply that that joint provides. What that's saying is, when you come to the local house of God, somebody in that church has what you need, and you wouldn't have it without them. They might have an encouraging word. They might get to know you and become a private intercessor on your behalf, and they may pray for you every day, and you never know it, but you don't get that if you don't come to the local church. He said, the whole body is joined together and knit together or compacted by every joint supply, And when every joint is supplying the needs, it causes an effectual working in the measure of every part. We come together, we help each other, we supply each other, we strengthen each other, we fortify each other. It becomes a great work. And it maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself. So when you're apart from the body, you don't get edified. When you're apart from the body, you don't get increased. When you're apart from the body, you don't get supplied. The local church is where you receive safety, protection, direction, supply, intercession. If you're a loner, you could die out there and we would never know it. But if you're part of a local church, when you miss two services, everybody knows it and we're checking on you. Hebrews 13, 17. 
Obey them that have the rule or the guide over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Says they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Over every local church is given a guide or a messenger or we call it a pastor. And the whole biblical pattern of a local church as the New Testament calls it or a flock as the Old Testament calls it is established from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. So we see this pattern that God's people are cared for in smaller local flocks, and over them is set a pastor or a guide. The term pastor is used over and over again because the Israelites understood what it meant to have a shepherd guiding a local flock, leading them beside still waters, making them to lie down in green pastures. When Jeremiah writes his scalding, scathing rebukes of Israel, there's three categories of people he rebukes over and over and over again. One is the lying prophet, one is the dirty priest, and the third is the pastor who shepherds himself on the sheep. The book of Jeremiah talks more about pastors than all of the New Testament combined, and he rebukes pastors almost every time. There's only one positive verse that I can think of right now in Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah 3, 12 or 321 where the Lord says I will give you pastors after my own heart that will feed you with the knowledge and wisdom of God the rest of Jeremiah rebukes the shepherds for being bad overseers of God's flock the local church provides a place for a flock to meet and to receive the guidance the care the oversight of a shepherd and here Hebrews calls him the guide or the rule now, we're Americans. We're very, we're fiercely independent. We're, we're part feminist, part antagonist, part rebel, part treasonous, colonialist. We shake our fist at anything that says ruler. But the word means guide. This word says, obey them that have the guide over you. As the local pastor, I guide this flock. That's the authority God's given me. I steer this assembly where we need to go and the outreaches and the use of our money and our mission trips and our projects in our church discipline. The Bible says that you submit yourselves. That's a dirty word by today's standard too. Nobody wants to submit to anybody, but everybody wants the next person to submit to everybody else. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty dangerous hypocrisy. For the guides watch for your souls. That's what we do. You will, you'll never understand really how much the Lord speaks to me at home as a pastor over this church, how much I can know about you by simply looking at you, not in a prayer line, before a service starts. I can, I, if you'll watch me, I'll, I'll let you in on little tricks of the pastor. I'll stand up here and get my notes or kind of go over announcements and I'll, I will peruse or gaze over the congregation the Lord has given me and I, I literally will ping you like a sonar in a submarine. I'll ping you, and I will judge you by the Spirit of God to see where you're at, see how you're doing. I'm watching your countenance. I'm watching your interaction. I'm watching how you interact with the flock. I'm watching how you receive the word. That, that's my assignment. I, I have to watch for your soul because I have to give an account one day. And just so you know, I do adjust my messages for you. I'll adjust my message for how you're living your life. I'll adjust my message for your battles. I'll adjust my message for your pride because I learned that from Jesus. Submit yourselves and obey them that have the rule over you, the guide. 
Don't obey me if it's sinful. But if I'm preaching the word, why would you not obey the word? For these guides must do it with joy and not with grief. If you get to be rebellious and stubborn, my job's miserable. And I'll let you in on another secret of pastoring. I don't always pray people to stay. Sometimes I pray people to leave. If a sheep gets to be too big of a problem and they don't want to submit to the teaching and preaching, if they somehow have some kind of Teflon spray on their wool and they refuse to take on the aroma and the flavor and the vision of our church, I start praying them to go away. Because I want my job to be done with joy and not with grief. You have to purpose as a sheep in this church, you're not going to be a grievous sheep, but a joyful sheep. If you're a happy sheep, things go better. If you're a grievous sheep, I'm going to pray you out. That's a promise. If you want to stay, I'll pray you to stay. But I've prayed people out. Some people I've preached out. I'm not a hireling. I'm not a people collector. I'm not interested in hanging on to people that don't want to hang on to my God. It is unprofitable for you if you make my job miserable. So just don't. (laughs) It's, It's miserable for everybody. In the same way that individual body parts are important to making a body entire and effective, the members of a local church are just as important to, to, uh, to secure the success of that church. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you or no need of thee. Just like the hand is necessary for a secured success, to making a a human body effective, you are necessary to making this body effective. Just like I don't just need this ear to hear, I need this ear looking good so I don't look weird. We need you here, not just so we can hear, so we can look normal. We need your ability. If you're a pinky, we need that pinky. If you're the little toe, we need the little toe. We need you as part of this local body. We cannot say we do not need the local church or other Christians. If I were to cut this hand off, it would only be viable and capable of reattachment through medical technology in a short window. This hand cannot exist detached from the body, no more than you can exist detached from the local church. We cannot say we do not need the local church or other Christians. This contradicts God's word, nor can we say the woods or the lake is our church. This too contradicts scripture. We need to understand the house of God is where we're called. This local church is like a docking station for batteries. You're a battery. You've got to put your rump in the chair on a regular basis so you can be energized and recharged. You're called to be recharged in the local church, then go out and let your light shine. And when your light diminishes, you come back Wednesday, we redock you for an hour and a half, and you go back out there and shine some more. This is a pattern that should repeat itself over and over and over again. You cannot exist alone. They can reattach corneas. They can reattach eyeballs. They can, re- they can do liver and heart transplants, but only in a window of opportunity. You give it too much time, the heart will, will not be viable. The liver will be useless. Uh, the kidney transplant will fail. You cannot exist alone. You need the local church, and the local church needs you. Amen. We're out of time. That concludes lesson six. Father, we thank you for this lesson on the local church, what it is and why we should go. I pray that every listener has been encouraged and fortified in these elementary doctrines about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we trust you to continue to build your church. 
And may the gates of hell never prevail, even as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen.